Welcome again to Trinity Presbyterian Church in Owasso. Uh, as Mike mentioned, my name is Brent Corbin, and I've been with you many times. Uh, for some of you, though, uh, maybe you haven't been with us, but uh, I'm the RUF, which stands for Reformed University Fellowship uh, Campus Minister at the University of Tulsa. Um, I put a little flyer thing along with a support envelope because, hey, I'm a missionary and we live and die by those things. But um, uh, RUF, if you don't know, is uh, the collegiate ministry of this denomination and therefore of this church. And um, I actually want to just announce, that is really uh, bright and loud up here. I don't know if we could turn it down just a little bit. Um, uh, this church, Trinity Presbyterian Church, has recently uh, partnered with us and has begun to support um, what we're doing at the University of Tulsa. And so I actually just want to stand up here and say thank you. Uh, so that means that if you are giving to the work of this church through a normal contribution, tithes, and offerings, you are partnering with us in the spread of the gospel at the University of Tulsa. And so uh, on behalf of the students and my family and, and everybody that is reached through this ministry, I want to say thank you. Uh, toward that end. Uh, we also look for individuals uh, to partner with us, and so if uh, you would have that desire, or if you want to talk to me more about that, you can grab me after church. Um, I'll take you to lunch. You'll have to put up with two little girls, five and three, but um, it'll be fun. Uh, I'll talk to you more about it, or we can just chat afterwards for a minute. Uh, let me pray for us uh, real quick, and then we'll uh, look at this passage together this morning and talk about it for a few minutes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you uh, that you uh, equip people for the work of the kingdom. I thank you for the people in this room uh, whom you have reached uh, through the message of your son Jesus and who have been rescued and redeemed and who are in the process of being changed so that their lives might bear much fruit and bring you much glory. And I thank you that you have called them to this place. I thank you that uh, they have been generous with their uh, the money that you have given them to steward, that they have given it to this church, and that in turn it has been used to support many, many things in this community, uh, in the city, and around the world. Thank you. Thank you for them. I pray now that as we turn to your word, that you would open our hearts, open our minds. We pray that the testimony of your word would resonate within us, that your spirit which dwells in us would testify that this is true and right and good. So now I pray that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In your son's name we pray, amen. So uh, part of being um, an RUF campus minister, as I touched on briefly, is uh, going around and meeting with individuals and families and churches and asking them to support the work that we're doing. And so last summer, I had the privilege and the opportunity to sit down with, at that time, which was more of a friend of a friend, a guy I grew up with. He has a friend here in Tulsa, and he got me connected with him. And I had uh, asked him and set up a, a meeting to go over to his house to talk to he and his wife about the ministry of RUF and what we're trying to do and what that looks like at, at the University of Tulsa. And so he, he said, yeah, great. Come over one night, uh, I think it was a Wednesday night. Come over at 8.30, the kids will be down, and we'll sit around and we'll chat for a few minutes, and great. So uh, I showed up at his house at 8.30, knocked on the door. I could tell very quickly the kids were not down. Um, they were running around like crazy inside, which is a familiar sight to me. Uh, but Brian comes to the door, and he's actually on a phone call. And so I 
hey, you know, I'm wondering what I'm supposed to do, and he motions me in, and he actually takes me into his bedroom and sits me on this chair in the corner um, and chides me. No. Uh, he sits me on a chair in the corner and says, hey, wait just a minute. Um, you know, he's kind of doing this thing, and then he takes his iPhone and he puts it on speakerphone, and then he hits the mute button so they can't hear him. And he looks at me and says, hey, I've got to finish this phone call. This is Ronnie Dunn from Brooks and Dunn. And I'm just like, what in the, who are you? What and so he explained to me afterward, he said that uh, he has begun a new company. He has another company. He had started this other company. And all, what he's doing is he's marketing. He's doing all the social media and digital marketing for uh, artists. And he had gotten connected with Ronnie Dunn sometime last year. And that phone call was actually kind of the last step to signing Ronnie Dunn to be his promoter and marketer. Uh, if you don't know Ronnie Dunn of Brooks and Dunn, they were the, the single biggest duo, duo in country music history. But I'm in Owasso, y'all know that. Um, <clears throat> so he lands this account. Uh, he's super excited. He hangs up the phone. Uh, by that time, his kids were down, so his wife, Courtney, joins us there in the bedroom. They sit on the bed, and I'm sitting on this chair. And I begin my support presentation, and they've got uh, my iPad in front of them, and they're following slides that I'm showing them. And about 10 minutes into it, he looks at me and says, Brent, hey, man, we can just stop right now. He said, we think you're great. We think what you're doing sounds pretty cool. Uh, we're just going to support, we're going to give you a check for one month of your, of your ministry. And I was like, uh, I've never had anyone like, cut me off and just say, shut up. Uh, we're giving, and that's the deal, and it's this huge piece of money, and deal with it. And so I'm fumbling through my words, and I'm just like, well, don't you want to hear the rest? And anyway, uh, so that happened last summer. It was awesome. So as a good missionary this summer, I call him again. It's like, hey, Brian, you know, I'd seen him a little bit between now and then, and I was trying to get in touch with him again. Called him, nothing, sent him a few text messages, nothing. And so then the insecurity starts flooding in. Just like, wow, maybe, maybe it didn't go so well last year, and maybe he didn't like the newsletters, or I don't know, maybe, maybe he and his wife are in a different spot financially and they can't do it, which is totally fine, but I just wasn't getting anything back from him. No feedback. And then I see him one night at, the, at our mutual friend's house, and I walk in the front door of this party that they're having, this anniversary party, and Brian comes up to me, and he pulls my head really close to his mouth, and he whispers in my ear and says, Brent, stop texting me. Stop calling me. We love you. We're going to give you a huge check. Okay. I, I tell you that to tell you this. Those words were powerful. They not only changed how I thought Brian felt about me, they changed how fun that party was. <laughs> In some real ways, they changed what this summer has felt like from a support raising standpoint. They changed all those things because I knew that Brian could, could write that check. And I'm not trying to be just financial and X's and O's about this. I knew that he could. His words came with authority because I knew who he was. Now, we all know intuitively because we're more than three years old that words are powerful, that words carry weight because the people who say them oftentimes mean what they're saying. Now, certainly we say things we don't mean all the time, but look, you have maybe at some time in your life, you've had a parent tell you, I'm really proud of you. 
Or maybe I love you. Or maybe you haven't had a parent say I'm proud of you or that I love you. Maybe along the way you had uh, a seventh grade experience like mine and you heard all sorts of things that, in a very strange way, still stick with me. Uh, You're stupid. You're dumb. You're fat. You're great. I want to take you out on a date. Will you marry me? Words are all around us and they hit us heavy because words are the currency of relationships. And it's something that we can spend very easily, but oftentimes we can't get back. The words that Brian told me that night, the words that we've heard throughout our lives, and the words that Jesus came and spoke to the people around Him and to the masses were hugely important and very powerful. If we were to read the passage just before the one we're going to look at this morning, we would have seen Jesus coming onto the scene in in His his public ministry, His burst onto the scene, and He had one thing to say when He came out of the, the wilderness being tempted by Satan. He came out of the wilderness and said, I have good news for you. Repent and believe the Gospel. The kingdom of God is here. Now, now what did Jesus mean by that? What He was announcing is that from this point on, nothing is the same. That everything for those Jewish people who would have heard Him, everything that they had been thinking about and their lives had been built around was changing. What would soon be known to the masses and the people far off, everything that they thought about the world would be changed. That there was a light into the darkness. There was a new Word. There was revelation. There was something new and fresh. Jesus was here. And so what we want to look at this morning is how He used His words. What were the things He said in those first encounters with the people around Him? And what I want us to see is that when He uses words, when Jesus speaks, His words, so often different from the words that we have heard and some of the words we've spoken, are always used for life, for healing, for restoration, and redemption. And so let's look down. If you have a Bible, Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. And I'm going to read a decent little chunk here down through verse 45, just so we can see several accounts uh, of Jesus interacting with folks. So let's hear the word of the Lord from Mark chapter 1. Uh, passing along this, alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. And immediately there was in that synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. 
And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to Him from every quarter. This ends the reading of God's Word. This morning, as I mentioned, I want us to look at exactly how it is that Jesus used His words. How it is that He wielded the power that He had being God incarnate for the good and the giving of life to all those around Him, to us, and then to others through us. So let's look at that. The first way we see Jesus' power at work is when He comes and calls people, they follow Him, and they follow Him on a mission. Now, look, if you grew up around the church, or you've been in this church long, or any church long, you've probably read or heard this story a lot. It's classic. It's classic VBS material. It's kind of low-hanging fruit. It's just not a super lofty, uh, difficult teaching. Jesus comes out next to the sea, and He sees some people fishing. He says, hey, new sheriff in town, come follow me. Let's go. Now, again, our familiarity with that may cloud it a bit, but let's catch what's going on. In that culture, which is so very, very different than our culture, Uh, everything was familial. If your dad was a farmer, you were a farmer. If your dad worked at Lowrance, you worked at Lowrance. If uh, Blake, if we were in that culture, Blake would be in Wichita Falls right now working at a law firm. I would be in Duncan, Oklahoma working in the oil fields and I would be miserable. Um, That's the way things were. Now, uh, in our culture, obviously a lot different if you end up working for the family business, there's a couple things going on there. One, like maybe going to college wasn't, didn't work for you. Or maybe, uh, maybe you just didn't want to go to college and you wanted to go work for your dad or your parents, that's fine. 
Or uh, maybe your parents had this huge business, you went to college and you're like, that's it, that's my ticket to wealth and to everything, and so I'm going to go back to work for home. It's kind of, it's not that common, but it happens some. In America, though, we prize the getting out. Make yourself, you know, make yourself a career, make yourself a family, go start somewhere else. But that was not the case there. And we see that in that first little account that when Jesus comes out and He's passing by the sea, uh, Simon Peter is there with his brother Andrew. It's the family business. They're fishermen. It's what they do. They go down a little further. James and John are there as fishermen with their father Zebedee. It's the family business. It's what everyone was doing. And Jesus goes right by them and says, follow Me. It's an imperative any way you look at that word. He looks at them and says, come on. He doesn't ask them. He doesn't offer them a contract, a signing bonus. He just says, come. And I will make you fishers of men. That's not Him saying, and here's this thing we're going to try and do over here. I've got this plan. I don't know if it's going to work, but you guys look capable. Maybe you can help me make it work. He says, come follow Me, and this will happen. I will make you fishers of men. So, sitting here again in 2014 in Owasso, um, I don't think any of us are little Jewish boys or girls, so we'd probably miss something that would be ringing in the minds of these hearers. When Jesus looks at them and says, come follow me, leave your family, I'm going to take you somewhere different, I'm going to give you a different mission, that echoes back to Genesis 16, sorry, Genesis 12, when God calls out to Abraham and says, Abraham, uh, leave your country, leave your father's house, go to the land that I will show you. It's this open-ended command with a promise. This is the way that God handles people. This is the way that God brings people into the kingdom. He calls us to where if you are a Christian, you heard that call at some point. It was irrevocable. It was irresistible. Jesus spoke to your heart through the Spirit. You followed Him. And in some ways, it changed everything about your life. Some of us are at different points in working through what that looks like. But we follow Him, and He sent us out on a new mission. God promised Abraham, I will make your family great. It was the beginning of a new family. The family thing was being reoriented according to God. And it continues to be reoriented according to Jesus. And that doesn't mean, as most of us know, that we're leaving our families. We have to look at mom and dad and say, sorry mom and dad, I don't like you anymore. Uh, I'm doing something new. What Jesus is saying is that there is a new family at work and it's called the kingdom. And that is your first allegiance. So, um, I grew up, as I mentioned, in Duncan, Oklahoma. When I would hear this uh, passage either taught or maybe I would just read it on my own and kind of uh, bring my own application to it, I would think, oh, this is, this is obviously uh, a call for people to go be missionaries or to come be an RUF campus minister. This is uh, kind of a vocational direction that Jesus is giving these fishermen. Y yes and no. It was because He brought them away from, um, from being fishermen by trade or vocation in a sense. But it's really, it's so much more than that. There's so much more going on than that. Because the Bible is clear that you can do anything vocationally, 
in calling and bring glory to Him. The good news that Jesus gives is that He wants people, He is calling people to be in His kingdom and He equips us wherever we are. And He does call certain people out into full-time ministry, but that is not everybody, and y'all know that. Y'all are not pastors, and that's good. I don't know, maybe you want to be a pastor and that might be good too, but um, Jesus leaves us, some of us where we are, and He says, you are a Christian, that changes the way you teach, that changes the way you run your medical office, that changes the way you do engineering and the way that you work on your projects and with your coworkers. That changes the way that you stay at home with kids. That changes everything about the way you see the world. And He's doing that with these people. He is changing their mission and then sending them out. The mission of Jesus then is something that we have to understand. And friends, the mission of Jesus is the mission of God. It's the mission from the beginning of Scripture until the end. And it is to bring healing, restoration, newness, life, redemption wherever that has been degraded by the fall. And the last time I checked, that's everywhere. That's our hearts. That's this community. That's the school system. That's the medical profession. That's everywhere. And so Jesus is calling us to have our hearts reoriented around His priorities and to not live for ourselves and to get on board with the mission of God, which is the renewal and the redemption the restoration of all things. Everything. He cares about everything. So that means He cares about you and where you are at your situation in life. The people that you're around right now, Jesus cares about that. And He's calling you to faithfully be in that place. He looks at them and says, you will become fishers of men. Because He is going to the very place where the fall first began to spread. He's going to the hearts of men because it was in the garden when the hearts of men were deceived by the, by the evil one, by the serpent. He's saying healing starts there. Yes. And so it starts in our heart and it moves outward into everything we do. And so then at some level to follow Jesus means that we leave an, an old life behind. Not necessarily vocation, but it means we leave some aspect of who we are behind. Whether that's just uh, sin issues, whether that is um, relationships that you shouldn't continue because they continue to take you into places that are dark. Whether that is uh, things that you know you ought to confront and to begin to confess and work toward that you haven't been able to or just haven't been willing to for so long. Or maybe that is that God is calling you in to do something in mission. I don't know. That's not any more glorious, but maybe God is calling you to do something different vocationally. Jesus, in a powerfully and compelling manner, summons all of us, though, to leave our comforts, what we are used to, and to follow Him. So how do I know that I can trust Him? How do you know that you can trust Jesus in whatever He's calling you to give up or to do for the sake of His kingdom? How can you trust Him? Friends, we have to understand that Jesus is not calling us to do something that He hasn't done. We can trust Him because He has gone before us. He left His Father. 
He left the comforts of heaven. He left all treasure and riches, everything for your sake. He is the ultimate leader. He's the ultimate power figure in that sense that He takes power that is His by right and by nature and He gives it up for the sake of His followers. And He does that not just to be a great example, like, hey, let's just go be like Jesus. He does that to show, to show us, I love you. I'm for you. I am with you. I am not asking you to do something that I haven't already done. And so wherever it is that Jesus calls us to change and to live life differently for the sake of the kingdom and the good of others and the good of this world, He is saying, I've been there. I know it's hard. But glory comes through that. And so we follow Jesus into it. Secondly, we see Jesus use His powerful words to carry out this mission. He calls people onto the mission, then He carries it out. The next chunks of this passage beyond that initial calling the fishermen, they read like, uh, like a psychiatrist or an ER doc's crazy notes as if they're just like shoveling Red Bulls. It's, if you notice, Mark's just like, and immediately they did this, and immediately this, and at once he did this, and immediately he's there. It's just like, golly, Jesus has got ADD, slow down. Um, but he's going around, he's healing people. He speaks and people's lives are changed. He goes and touches Simon and mother, Simon's mother-in-law and she's raised up. He goes and speaks to the leper and, and the leper says, if, if, uh, if you can, make me clean. Jesus says, oh, I, I will. I can be clean. Things are changing around him. He uses his power. He uses his words for the good of those around him. It's worth noting that a distinctive mark of Jesus' earthly ministry is that His words and His power, they had this two-pronged approach that He has, yes, the ability to do things, but also the willingness. He has the ability, but also the willingness. Let's see the ability. The authority. The ability. He, in verse 20, He speaks and people follow Him. There is something about His voice which compels them, us, and others around us. When we hear God speaking to us, we listen and we follow. We would do well to do that. There's authority there. He's willing. He's able. In verse 22 and 27, Jesus is teaching. And those who hear it says, man, this is unlike anything we've ever heard. I've heard Blake preach every day or every Sunday for the last three years. This Brent guy is totally new. That's not true. But that's what they said about Jesus. They've been hearing the scribes forever and they're just teaching the same old thing. Rabbi so-and-so says this. Moses says this. Jesus shows up and says, look, I'm saying this, it's go time. And they follow Him. His words have authority. He has ability. He is a self-reverential authority. He doesn't have to reference someone else and get His authority there. He is saying, I am power incarnate. Follow Me. And it happened. But not only is He able, He's willing. I think one of the most beautiful places in all of Scripture is verse 40 where the leper comes to Him and implores Him, kneels before Him and says, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, look man, I will. I, I absolutely can and I will. I am willing. Be clean. Uh, this summer, uh, Mike the Magician has been making guest appearances in the Corbin's house. I am Mike the Magician. Uh, what happened, and the way we got started with this whole game that we do almost every night now, because I've learned that kids want you to do the same thing every night, um, 
we were at the farmer's market one Saturday morning, not because we're hip or urban, because we were bored. Uh, we went out to the farmer's market and uh, we're walking around. There was this street magician who was making balls disappear and handkerchiefs come out of his sleeve and all sorts of stuff. And my kids were, I mean, they were in. They were standing right there in front of the table. We had these hilarious pictures. <laughs> they were smitten for like 20 minutes, which was awesome because it was a free babysitter. Um, so we're sitting there watching that. And of course, though, we get home and my kids are asking me to do magic. I'm just like, man, ah, uh, okay. So uh, for every night for the past month or so, I have been making balls uh, disappear under their pillows, uh, not because I have any skills, but because my children are very gullible, and they follow empty hands where this hand can put something under there. Uh, I have no skills, but I'm very willing. I'm very willing to deceive my children so that they will love me and think I'm awesome. I bring nothing to the table with ability. Jesus comes on the scene with both an ability and a willingness. And in that way, He is so different than, than any of us. He is able to do whatever the Father has sent Him to do. And so that's why if you read the Gospels, you hear Jesus over and over again saying, I came to do the will of my Father. I came to do my Father's will. I'm here doing what He wants me to do, and He does it. Even as He walks toward His death. He was there to do the will, the will of His Father. Jesus in this passage is blaring out like a foghorn in a midnight sky, saying, I am what you need most. In me is healing. In me is life. Come, follow me. I will take you to places that you've never been. I will call you so far out of your comfort zone that it will blow your mind. But I will be with you. I will be with you. And with me, you can do anything. So finally, what does this mean for us? How do we take this awesome story about Jesus and not just think it's an awesome story about Jesus and, or not just kind of leave with this moralistic charge to... Uh, go be Jesus or be filled with the Spirit and, and go heal people? What do we do with this? Well, let's ask a couple questions. The first question that any of us and all of us have to ask is, am I actually following Jesus? Now, y'all, are you got up for church on a Sunday morning. Uh, that has some level of indication that you're at least uh, desiring to know more about Jesus or perhaps you're in the boat, you're following Him, and you're li- maybe you are... This is just old hat for you. You're doing everything that you think you should be doing, and that's awesome. But for some of you, you have to answer the question, am I actively following Jesus? Are there places in my life that I could look and say, because of the Gospel and because of Jesus' claim on my life, this area of my life looks different? Or this area of our budget, or this area of the way we spend our time looks different? Are you following Jesus? Another question. Can you articulate how you are carrying out the mission of God to seek the beauty, the good, the redeeming, the restoration? How are you loving your neighbor? If someone came up to you and said, what does being a Christian mean for you? And I don't mean that you turn around and give them a theological answer. I mean, if, you, if they were to look at the nuts and bolts of your life or your schedule or whatever, how is the Gospel playing itself out in your life? How has Jesus' claim and His call for you to follow Him affected 
you, affected your family, affected the way you treat others. To understand what Jesus is doing here, we kind of need to jump ahead a bit. Because we're at the right at the very first of his teaching. He would do so many more things throughout the Gospel of Mark and throughout all the other Gospels. But in order for this not just to be some in order for me not just to close with the questions and you think you saying, okay, I need to do better at these things, you have to hear Jesus' final words to his followers. These are his first words. You have to hear his final words. At the end of Matthew, he says it a little differently than Mark does, but I'm gonna, so I'm going to read his. At the end of Matthew's account, he looks at his disciples and says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You've heard this. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and doing, doing all that I have commanded you. And we're like, okay, great. But we miss this. And behold, I am with you. Even to the end of the age. Jesus starts that out by saying, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Has been given to me. And he finishes by saying, I'm with you. At the end of Luke's Gospel, he looks and says, and behold, not only am I with you kind of figuratively, he says, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Jesus is saying, I am sending my Spirit to you. So look, if we are Christians, if Christ has called us to follow Him, He indwells us by His Spirit. And so He actually, by His Spirit, enables us to do the very thing He's calling us to do. That you can die to your sin. You can willingly want to change because the Spirit of God is in you to change you and to move you out into the mission that Christ is calling you toward. He's with you. He's with you. In the King's Speech, which was a phenomenal movie um, a few years ago, in my book, um, there's, that, there's so many great scenes. There is a great scene where uh, King George VIII has realized that his brother doesn't want the throne. His father has died. His brother doesn't want the throne. It's to him. But there's this huge problem for him because he realizes that if he takes the throne, he's going to have to give a speech. And he can't talk. He stammers. He stutters. And the, the camera pans over to him and he says, I'm a naval officer. That's all I am. And I know that so many of us when we hear these calls from Jesus to do great things or to join Him in the mission to change the world, we think, seriously? I'm just a normal person. I live in Owasso. I work at the factory. Or I'm a farmer. Or I'm an engineer. That's all I am. I'm not this superstar for Jesus. That's all I am. But friends, if the Spirit of God is in you, that's not all you are. He has sent Himself into you to make you be somebody that you could only dream of being. He enables you by His Spirit to do incredible things for the kingdom. So when George realized that, he was terrified. But what did he do? He went and trained. He went and step by step started thinking about giving a speech. He got training. He worked with a guy. And then he stood there when it was game time and he did it. 
Friends, that is the Spirit of God in you. He is your trainer. He is the one who disciplines you. He is the one who works in you. Jesus is with you. You can follow Him. Would you? Would you? Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You for Your Gospel. We thank You that You equip us to do that which You call us to do. And I thank You so much for these people in here uh, who You have called to be in the workplace and who You have spread out all over this, this city of Owasso, in this region, who You have put providentially in the families that You have put them in so that they might live for You and for Your kingdom. I pray that You would, by Your Spirit, move them to take the next step and the next step. And that through that obedience that You might show Yourself to be the One who is able and willing. We thank You, Lord, for Your Word and we pray these things in Your Son's name. Amen.